Hi, I'm Dr. Jason Kessler. Years ago, I made a discovery, but it wasn't something that was new at all. I learned that there's not a single person that you will ever meet that you can't learn things from. In this podcast, I interview a variety of people from all walks of life and discover what together we can learn from them. This is the Professor Anyone podcast. My guest professor today is a professor emeritus from Columbia College. She is a retired teacher who has taught at just about every grade level and was a professor at Columbia in psychology and education. She also has communications background. Please welcome Novell Palinich to the podcast. Novell, thank you so much for being here today. I'm delighted. I'm delighted. Novell, you have been involved with education at multiple levels. That was your life work before you retired. Tell me a little bit about what drew you into, into education and what levels that you've worked with that you enjoy the most. I have to admit, the, the funniest part begins with my mother, who was teaching when she was 16. Mama grew up in Texas, graduated salutatorian of her class at age 16, her brother was age 17, and he was valedictorian, although they had the same grades. I always loved that story, looking at the role of women, right? Because after all, he was a male. But mama then could pass the exam in Texas and be able to teach if she passed a very difficult content-wise examination. So mom had to get ready to, to do this. The interesting part was they told them what areas would be tested. And the only one mom had not studied was solid geometry. And so she graduated in May and took the test in end of June. And she taught herself solid geometry and of course, passed with flying colors. The reason that she only got a lower grade in plane geometry was because she didn't have a chance to review that, but she got 100% in solid geometry. So maybe two kind of stories there that influenced me. Number one, my mom did not want me to go into teaching, and I did it anyway. And number two, there's a lot of ways to learn, and you can learn by going to school, which she would have had to have done had she not passed the test, or you can learn by teaching yourself. My good friend, Tony, Tonya Lugeiser, is a school psychologist, and she always said, we must remember everybody has their story. And I think that's something that I, I learned early, but that I have to keep reminding myself. Everybody has something to give to you, that you can learn from everybody. Interaction between people is probably the most sacred thing we have. Everybody does have a story. That's obviously a, a big part of what this podcast is about, is learning people's stories and learning what we can learn from each person that we meet. Can you give me some examples of some stories that you learned from? After I had been teaching at the college for a while, 
I had the opportunity to become vice president for student life, dean of students. It was very interesting to me that so much of what I knew as a teacher could carry over, translate into what I did as, as an administrator. And it was a fascinating experience for, for quite a few years for me. But what I did learn from it was you have to, at times in your life, look and say, what gives me energy? What fills, fills my well, I guess? And what draws from it? And the interacting with my students when I'm teaching and with my content area is really what gives me energy. And an awful lot of the administration is what wore me down. And at one point I thought, you know what, I'm doing this and I hope I'm being successful at it, but I'm not having having fun at it and I'm not growing with it. It's it's putting myself where where it's taking more than than I wish to take and that I'm not giving what I like to give. And I went back to teaching. So I'm thankful that I had both experiences. I could talk to students about it, students who want to go into administration. But I can also always say I really learned, you know, there are times you say, I'm glad I did that, but I don't have to keep on doing that if that's not what's best for me. And that's what I did. So I learned from that. And that was a great experience for me. But I learned that people with handicaps physical handicaps uh, also often have intellectual or, or really psychological, emotional handicaps that go with that. And sometimes it's really much easier to be sensitive to people's physical handicaps than it is to be sensitive to their psychological, their caring, their, their real internal needs. And it's twice as hard because you don't see those the way you see the physical. The transition that you that you told us about in moving from directly teaching students to administrative roles, and you're not the first teacher that I've talked to who has found that to be a difficult transition. And I think we see that in lots of industries too. It's not just in education mm -hmm. where people are good at something and that allows them to advance to the next stage in uh, in management or in supervising people doing the job that they were good at, but they're different skills. They're different skills to exactly. be in administration than to be, uh, to be in education. So it's not all, it's, it's not only a matter of what you enjoy the most is you went into education because you enjoyed students, but it's also, uh, it's also what you're good at and sometimes making that transition to skills. And I think that's something that is not just in education can be, can be a difficult transition and some people do well with it and some people don't. Absolutely. I know one of the things that I learned from the Myers-Briggs personality inventory a long time ago was not so much about myself, but, but I think about other people and how I needed to work with those people to maximize their skills and, and recognize their needs, not use my strengths, but use, use my knowledge of what they needed. And they're very different things. So administration, you're you're uh, much more involved with things that don't involve really 
working directly with people in in the way that I like to do. Yeah, but I also, I have to say, I, I like my content area. I really miss doing the research and doing, just learning more from other people in my field, in my area. It's really, I think, only been fairly recently with looking at things like these personality inventories and things like that, where we really can narrow in on what people's actual skills are that we can't see. Right. And, and, and it's not only just skills. It, it is what makes you feel good. And, and that sounds trite. But the things that you are doing, sometimes you do a whole lot of things. And when you get all through, you are just exhausted. And you did really well. You did a great job. But it took so much of your energy to do that. And when you're doing something where that match is good, at the end, you may be tired, but you're also exhilarated. And where you want where you want to spend most of your effort is where you're exhilarated and want to keep on going. I think the common analogy that we see is the introvert and the extrovert, where you right. get your energy from talking to people and being with people, or you get your energy from, from being alone. Right. And putting aside the fact that I don't quite believe that there is really such a thing as a pure introvert or a pure extrovert. Um, right. It's a continuum. It, right. It's a it, continuum. It, and it doesn't have to be limited to your interactions with people specifically. It can be it can be whatever tasks give you that energy and whatever tasks, whatever things that you might do that sap energy away from you. One of the difficult things I think for all of us is finding where where we can meaningfully be in places and work right. towards things that give us energy and don't take it don't, don't take it away from us. Well, and there's a lot of societal pressure at this point on, you know, what is being successful? And generally that has to do with what makes you money. But a lot of the, the things that make you money may be also the things that bog you down. You have creative outlets that are separate from your professional roles, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, I do. I, I, we laugh. I, I love to cook. I found that gives me energy. So much of what I was doing was long-term, long-term results and not immediate results. And one of the fun things with for me with cooking is I, I get my hands in it and I have to scrub and clean and mix. And, and it, it's very creative for me, but it's also an immediate reward. Cooking isn't going to give me any money and doesn't give me much prestige. But it sure gives my family pleasure, and it's a, it's a way I give to others. Part of the problem is for people finding those things that make you happy, which may not have monetary, or I, I, I don't get published for my cooking. You talked a little bit uh, ago about your content area, uh, and mm -hmm. that, that was something that brought you joy. Can you Can you tell me a little bit about your your specific content area? Undergraduate work, I was, I was at Northwestern uh, in the School of Speech and a lot of energy into communication, period. Uh, I can teach English. I can teach social sciences. I can teach drama, speech, communication skills. As I went on to my advanced studies, I recognized more and more the psychology of, of good communication and the direct link between communicating well. And that, that has 
goes right back with what I'm saying. You're getting getting to know other people, getting to know how to respond to them. That's that's how you communicate with them. That whole process is still fascinating to me. And the fact that we are learning, the more we learn about the mind and how it works, about our own psychological needs. My husband is fascinated with science, and I love him for it because he can explain things to me that I don't have to think about. Just about anybody could be a better communicator and could learn to communicate better with others and to, to relate better, to connect better with others. What are, what are some tips that you can give listeners of this podcast to help them communicate better? One of the things I would do in my classes would be, and, and I was fortunate, uh, small, small college, usually my classes would be 20, 25 students. We would have an introductory round circle, introduce yourself, and then kind of a challenge. Uh, you had to then, the second round, introduce the person who had gone after you. So you really had to listen to what they said and be paying attention to that rather than just thinking about yourself. It would take us a couple rounds around there to get where we knew people's names, the majority of the people's names. And I had one student that, who immediately could answer everybody's name and, and what thing they most thought about. And we said to him, Cliff, how did you do that? that? That really is amazing. And he said, no, not really. I listen. And that's some of the best advice I think you can ever give to anybody. What we're doing is half listening and thinking how we are going to respond rather than listening all the way and and taking that in and then make your response. Cliff listened. I don't think any of us listen enough. Uh, the second thing I would say is then ask questions from what you from what you hear, and it's what you're doing right now, you're listening, and from what I've been saying, that leads you to questions to ask. And that's how you get, that's how you enrich your relationship and understanding of yourself and, and what you can learn from other people and, and make them feel good at the same time. So it, it's, I guess I would say, listen and then ask questions. Be genuinely interested. Someone once told me that God gave us two ears and one right. mouth for a reason. Right. Use it in that proportion. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I, I would comment that even, even, even if you are listening twice as much as you're speaking, you probably could stand to be listening a little bit more. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I completely yes. agree with, uh, with your advice to, for people to listen and to ask meaningful questions based on what you hear. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How often have you gone to a, a social gathering and at the end of the night learned so much about a number of people that were there and thought to yourself, you know what? I don't know if anybody knows one more thing about me. <laughs> In a way, that's very good. You have really grown. and But it's also kind of sad for the people who are so busy talking that they're not listening and asking questions about you. It's that sensitivity and learning then that it's an interaction. It's never one way or the other way. It's both ways. I had a friend once and he was so good at asking questions that would 
stimulate you to give a response and ask a question of him. I don't know how he did that because I always found myself asking questions as I was answering questions. And that's a wonderful mm -hmm. way to carry on a conversation and to learn about people. Right, right, right. That inner, that really interactive. And you know, if you do that, then you really like people and then you really get to know everyone has their story, as my friend Tony said. Everyone has their story. Uh, you, you, you develop that that respect, I think, for other people and, and understanding and appreciation that that's just so critical. I, I deplore the language that is used today in politics. Uh, I, I deplore the, the misuse of language that we hear in, in interactions and, and the things that people say to each other, I think we really have to do a turnaround and say, we've got to begin to understand and appreciate. You know, you may or may not like Lyndon Baines Johnson, maybe before your time. But what I do remember about him, that they said of him as a politician, was one of his phrases was, come let us reason together how much could we use that in politics and in our lives? But I'm thinking right now politically, uh, hmm, come, let us reason, let us think, let us respect, listen and talk together. Me wanting to understand you and you wanting to understand me and recognizing that differences may not be as different as you think usually. There's value in what the other person says. Maybe I could learn something. No one is always right. No one is always wrong. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the only way you can tell, tell the difference or tell, you know, when someone is right and someone is wrong is by listening to them. And oftentimes, you know, there's a little bit of truth mixed in with a little bit of misperception or vice versa, mm -hmm. but you'll never know if you don't, if you don't listen. Um, right. And I think, I think you're absolutely right that we spend a, a far too much time talking our politicians spend far too much time spitting out rhetoric mm -hmm. rather than than actually actually listening and having dialogue uh, i love your quote from from lbj come let us reason together and it works not just in politics you know you do it with your kids don't you mm -hmm. i think i learned by the time my son was six months old that he had a very definite view on life <laughs> and, and i better pay attention as he got older, learning to respect that. And not that I didn't ever say because I said so, because I did. But I would also say, let me tell you why. I have this, I have this reason for doing this. Is there something that you can think of, something that happened or something you did as a child that really shaped who you are today? It's a bad biblical quote. But love your enemy, be kind to everybody, everybody. I remember a time saying it was very difficult with a friend that that was being so mean to me. And my mom saying, Well, the answer is you be you be nice back. And maybe she'll change. And if she doesn't, you can't do anything about that. But you'll feel right about yourself and other people will notice that you have done what's right. Two wrongs do not make a right, but three lefts <laughs> do. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Right. What's the best advice that you've ever received? I guess probably the hardest advice, but probably the best. I remember reading Hamlet in college and the professor talking about uh, what does it mean when he says this above all to thine own self be true and how hard sometimes it is to be true to yourself to do what you know you you should do but if you don't do it you're going to be sorry in the long run so finding what's true to yourself being honest with yourself about yourself, finding that balance of accepting who and, and what you are, and then not being satisfied with not being the best you can be, I guess. There are no perfect people. Everybody can improve. Everybody can do better. And recognizing those opportunities to do better uh, and making mm-hmm. and taking advantage of those things so that we, we, can, we can always be a better person, uh, finding right. that balance between recognizing the things that we do great and acknowledging yeah. that to ourselves and to others when uh, right. know, when they're doing great as well and then and then taking that motivation and really getting in there and doing doing better to improve uh, on on those areas where we're not perfect which none of us are my son was a, a swimmer and became an excellent swimmer but he really worked at it i mean he he worked and this other young man could miss practices and do whatever and still do really well. And then he decided he'd be a a diver instead. So after, you know, two months of working at that, he was an excellent, excellent diver. And he was telling people that how good he was. And Clint said, you know, it's kind of hard to hear him bragging. I said, well, honey, look at it this way. If he's as good as he says he is, then at that point, he's just stating a fact. The minute that he thinks he's a whole lot better than he really is, that's when he's boasting, bragging, and in trouble. And if someone is boasting above their actual abilities, uh, at yeah. some point in time, somebody's going to prove them wrong. Somebody's going to put them down. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That all comes like, around. In a place where you've gotten away with it so long that when it does come, it's devastating. Let's be realistic here. My approach to things is a very logical approach, and that's not not as typical, uh, according to Myers-Briggs and other studies, with females as as with males, that kind of logical, linear. And I think we often think right or wrong instead of what are the options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so if I can get myself past, no, this is how I'm going to be. That's not right. And say, okay, what what are your real options here what what are alternatives and i think that's huge in in getting over the idea maybe that there's just one way one right way and maybe if we reason together we will see the options can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that you've learned about about the past and about history this is fun my mother was born in 1899 so my mom's always the same age as, as the year you know if she were alive which means her dad was born and served as a drummer boy in the Civil War. So that would be my grandfather. I know the stories from my mom. And then he, when he married my grandmother, she was 16 and he was 26. She came from a, from a family 
that had held slaves. And so many of the stories that I heard were of my grandfather and then from my grandmother that my mom told me about what life was in the 1880s through the early 1800s. And mama would have been like 10 when my grandmother was still visiting. When my grandmother visited their house in Texas, her former slave had stayed with her and and was with her. That was her personal maid, escort, whatever. So, So all those kind of stories, yeah, I heard from my mom. Then my dad was from Pennsylvania. My dad's family actually had relatives that, that were, you know, sons of the rev- sons and daughters of the revolution. So very staunch Yankee. So you can imagine the Civil War was not discussed real often in my family, <laughs> per se. But I've got stories about when my dad was in Texas, because that's where they met when First World War. And then when my mom went north to teach, and the stories about what people thought of Southerners. So very, very fun kind of uh, background. And again, one of those fun things is looking at what the stereotype that that Yankees had of, of Southerners and that Southerners had of Yankees. My mother said she didn't know that damn Yankee was two words until she was 30. The fascinating thing about history, I mean, my grandfather died at the age of 100 in 2003. Um, so wow. his lifespan was basically the 20th century. And how much oh how much gosh. stuff happened in that in that time period? Two world wars, uh, you know, automobiles mm. and motion pictures and... and he, well, the whole electronics, the yeah, whole uh, mechanized world. Amazing, the things that occurred during his lifespan. We put a man on the moon just a couple of years before I was born. I, I was not alive at that the time when when we went to the moon. But I'll be telling my grandkids about uh, about what life was like on nine eleven, what happened on that day, uh, right. you know, uh, in in two thousand one, right. and and my kids will tell their grandkids about what happened when we had a COVID uh, pandemic, right, and how that affected their you know their school and their education and their and their lives and 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 you know who knows what other what other things happened during the the span of uh, of you know our lives here and how we learn about some of those things from the past just from the last generations uh, it right. just, just just fascinates me and you know you as somebody who's who's who studied and familiar with communication and the the history of communication i i'm i'm not aware of any other species besides us humans that learn from our past generations we have written history that we've handed down for generations right. we know right. about what's happened to our people since for thousands of years in the past, many generations. It's just a fascinating, fascinating way that is communicated and the way that we, that we learn. We need to be paying extreme attention to what we are teaching and not teaching in schools. And part of that is getting along with other people, is understanding people in the times in which they lived, not, not putting your standards on People who lived 150 years ago, you know, it's it's a very different world. And what are we teaching so that they do understand some of where where they came from and how they can learn from where they came? That you don't have to keep repeating the same mistakes. That to me is so critical. 
Oh my gosh. If you if you teach about a person at the time, you're teaching history. And and yeah, then you will know they fought this battle or they did this thing or but you're you're studying it not from what battles in a timeline. You're teaching it from the human perspective of what it was. You you talk to how many adults who have become fascinated with history, who have become uh, experts in different areas of history, geography, uh, social sciences, and it's it's after they're out of school. Well, why should that be? Well, because we teach it dry. And, and in terms of events, and we should be teaching it in terms of the people who lived then. There's a huge difference between what, where somebody is and what they have done and who they are. Learning about who somebody is, I think, says a lot more than just what they did. If you will go back and look at how people dressed in each era, you will get such a view of what the politics were, what the positions of men and women were, what it meant to be rich and poor, just by the clothing they wore. It is just fascinating to look and say, oh my gosh, I never knew that. What do we learn about our culture by looking at the way we dress? That's interesting, even just thinking about you know, the last 30 years and, and how many people wore business suits every day to work then versus how many do now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So many workplaces are, are casual, which, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but it does say some things about our, our society uh, um, by, by looking at the, the ways that people dress in work environments and play environments. I've learned so much from talking you to, talking to you today, and uh, some of the things some of the things that I've learned uh, include that there's a lot of ways to learn, and that everybody <laughs> has their story. The best way to find success is by finding what gives you energy and and not what takes it away. And the best way to communicate with people is to listen uh, and to to ask ask good questions to, uh, from what you hear. When I was in college, one of my college professors said something to the class. He said something to the effect of, you know, if you if if you don't like something about my class or something about the way I teach or talk, I want you to come and tell me about that. I want you to talk to mm -hmm. me about that. And if you do like what I've done, and if you like this class and you like what I'm doing here, tell everybody. Um, and I use that, uh, that story to just uh, tell my listeners that if you, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please, uh, please like it and subscribe it and tell your friends about it so that everyone can learn from anyone on the Professor Anyone podcast. If you don't like what you hear or you have some ideas for constructive uh, criticism for the comp for the podcast, please let me know. We have uh, a ways that you can that you can enter comments uh, or contact contact me personally by email to let me know those things. Uh, Novell Palinich, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your great wisdom with us. And we've definitely learned a lot from you today. Thank you. Mm -hmm.